The time has come. I like that. The time is now for Victoria Stellwell's Positively Podcast. She's a world-renowned dog trainer. Seen enough dogs today, have you? She's the host of It's Me or the Dog. I'm coming to train you. Along with co-host Holly Furfer. You don't play around with that name, do you? I am a fan of sweaty balls. She's Victoria Stilwell, and she's ready to go. This is a lovely way to start the day. You get the busy bee. I need to trim her whiskers. I see some poo here. I feel a little bit better now because I'm the only one who usually feels stupid during the podcast. Now, let's head to the studio and get this Positively Podcast started. Hello everybody, welcome to the Positively Podcast. I hope you're doing well in this new crazy environment we're all living in. And I'm so glad that you've tuned in today to listen to what is going to be a great podcast because I have an amazing guest. Her name is Holly Root Gutteridge. She is a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Lincoln. And she's going to be speaking at our International Dog Behavior Conference on May 9th and 10th. And if you want to register for that conference, it's a two-day conference, then please go to Positively.com slash DBC. You don't have to sit there for the entire two days uh, because all presentations will be available to you forever if you register for the conference. But it will be live, so it will be a nice chance for two days for people to get together even though it's just online, for people to at least get together in this new crazy world we're living in and uh, to be able to learn more about dogs and how we can improve our dogs' lives. So Holly's going to be talking uh, on the sounds, sights, sniffs and science, a researcher's perspective on dog behavior and cognition. And she's going to share her unique view about what science can tell us about how dogs think, including science behind training methods, understanding dogs' perception of sound and speech, using brain scans to understand dog cognition, and then she's going to be discussing future research. And she is doing some really exciting research, just starting at, on the role of scent, how dogs perceive scent. And it's thanks to scientists and researchers like her that dog trainers like myself can take what we learn from them and utilize it for our clients that we work with and for people that we educate. So um, I rely on the latest behavioral and cognitive um, science to guide my hand. And for trainers like me or for anybody that is an animal care professional that works with dogs, I think it's really important that we evolve. As science evolves, we evolve too. Part of my training journey, gosh, if you watch the the first season, for example, of It's Me or the Dog, that I was taught with a much more sort of pack leader methodology. And I soon, I was never that comfortable with it. And I thought, well, it seems to be quite a human way of thinking that if a dog is misbehaving, it's because it, it wants to establish rank. That I don't think that's right at all. But hey, it's the way it was taught. So that's um, how I learned. I very quickly evolved and realized um, by looking at more research and um, listening and learning with more incredible people that were further ahead uh, where, where research was concerned to actually find out that 
the way I felt, the sort of the discomfort that I felt about the whole pack leader theory that you had to be your dog's pack leader and you had to dominate your dog into submission in order for your dog to, to listen to you or to behave and that if dogs were misbehaving, they were trying to outrank you and this whole, whole thing seemed so, seemed so stupid and I was so relieved to actually find out that, that my discomfort at it was, was right. There was, there was a reason why it just didn't ring true to me. So that's why you can see there's a big difference in my first, first and second seasons of It's Me or the Dog that was filmed in England, and then subsequent seasons that were filmed in England and then in the United States. And I, I'm still evolving with science. I am a science geek. I love listening and reading to and learning as much as I can about what research is going on and then being able to utilize that and pass that along to students that come and learn from the Victoria Stillwell Academy and also people that learn on our online courses as well um, that are made for dog owners. So there's, there's a lot of, uh, it's an exciting time. If you work with dogs right now, it's an exciting time. So without further ado, let's get Holly Root Gutteridge on the line. The Positively Hotline is ringing. We don't know what we're going to do. We have no plan. We're just here. Who's calling in this week? He went after her like she's made out of ham. That is interesting. That's exciting. Um, is somebody going to answer that? Hello? Hotline ringing. You're on your phone, and I don't think you're taking any of this seriously. It's the phone! Ladies and gentlemen, let's go! Hey, Holly, how are you doing? Hey, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. We're so happy to have you on the podcast, and I'm very excited to hear your presentation at the Dog Behaviour Conference on May 9th and 10th. We are so excited to have you as a speaker because you are going to be speaking. I have to put on my glasses like this, otherwise I won't be able to see the title. Sounds, Sights, Sniffs and Science, a researcher's perspective on dog behaviour and cognition. I am... That's why I'm excited, just the title itself, because there's so much unique information that you're going to be imparting to attendees. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do and maybe some of the things that uh, attendees might hear? Sure. So I'm a dog behaviour researcher at the University of Lincoln, and I was previously at the University of Sussex, and I study how dogs perceive their world. So I was studying how they perceive sound, and now I'm studying how they perceive scent. And if you come and listen to the presentation, you're going to hear about dog science and what we actually understand about their whole world perception, including um, how many colours they see and whether black and white isn't vision is in fact a myth and how many scent receptors they have in their nose, plus a little bit of history of how we domesticated dogs and how they evolved from wolves. So um, for those people who maybe are well-versed in cognition, mm -hmm. um, well, like, I mean, I'm a kind of a cognition geek. Could you tell us a little bit about how that, I know that you can't take, to, uh, tell me too much about the studies you're doing on scent right now, but a little bit about sound and about the dog's perception of sound and, most importantly, about us, how we talk to them. 
Sure. So we understand that dogs have really good hearing. And a lot of us think about that. We don't really take in what it means or the fact that an animal that is really quite genetically distant from us is attentive to human speech in the way that they are. I spent three years looking at how dogs respond when we speak to them and what matters in our voices to them. So when we talk to dogs, we use a particular kind of speech that's called dog directed speech. But most people think of it as baby talk. So you look at your dog and you go, oh, that's a good cat then. And she responds to that because you're giving her all the signals that you want her attention. But within that, you're also using words that you hope she's going to identify and know that good girl means I'm happy with you. This is a good thing. Um, so one of the things we looked at at my time in Sussex was how dogs actually learn to recognize words and how they respond to different words said by different speakers. So it's all to do with evolution of language, but also to do with how dogs think about when we're talking to them, what matters when we talk to them, and how we can be better owners by figuring out how to get them to understand us better. Have you, in your um, research, have you come across or sort of maybe identified a way where we get it wrong, or the reason why we get it wrong, the reason why maybe sometimes we misunderstand our dogs or we think that they're capable of understanding more than they actually are. Do you have so, some examples of that? So I have one example going each way, basically, for when we misunderstand dogs and when they're really good at understanding us. So we misunderstand dogs when we teach them the word down and teach them that means lie down on the ground, put your tummy down, and we reward them for that. And that's great. They understand that. Then we say get down when they're on the sofa and we want them to get off the furniture. Well, the problem with that is quite often the dog will just lie down on the sofa because it's thinking, oh, she said down, that means put my tummy down. And it does it. And then we're angry because they don't understand that to us, the word may have two or three or even more meanings. The dog's just done exactly what it thinks we told it to do. And now we're shouting and he's going, oh, but I lay down. And maybe next time he's not so willing to do a down when he's already on the floor because last time that didn't get him a treat. It got him shouted at. So we really need to think about having unique words for everything we want a dog to do because they don't form these big general categories of the word can mean this or this or this. They really prefer to have one word mean one thing and it's much clearer for them that way. So that's when we misunderstand what they're thinking about. When they're really good at understanding us, and one of the studies that we've currently got in preparation for publication is that they can listen to us talking and if we say their name in the middle of a sentence, they can pick out that word, which means they really are listening when you're saying, oh, well, I think tonight maybe I'll give Sheba some dinner. My dog Sheba will realize I've said her name and she'll look at me. She'll also realize from the tone of my voice that I'm probably not calling her over, but she really does know certain words. And it's not just that she's responding me to me being terribly excited when I talk to her or looking at her. So, yes, they do really learn words, but they also learn an association of a word and an action. And if you try to get them to learn something else or if you try to use a new word, they might not get it immediately. So the f let's let's talk about phrases. So, for example, mm -hmm. I'll say to my dog, do you want to go for a walk? And each time I say it, I use the same pattern of words and my mm -hmm. voice always goes up at the end. And I know that when I say it as well, that my body language, um, like maybe my head tilts to the side, or I'm looking at them and my eyes get a little bit wider, or my face gets a little bit animated as I'm trying to kind of infuse them. They know exactly what that means. They run to the place where their leashes are, they get very excited, they know exactly what that means. Um, in, in, in that instance, are they 
are they listening to um, the tone and pitch of my voice or uh, and that pattern of words or are they watching my body language so they're listening to everything and watching you at the same time they're using all of that as a guide so if you're really excited about something and you say let's go they'll think okay let's go excited voice all this is good if you go coffee they'll still go okay well this sounds pretty good because i know that tone means something exciting and if you sit quietly and just go let's go they may still pay attention, but not as much. So it's the combination of the meaning and the body language and the tone that they respond to. And they're putting everything together to show, oh, I know that tone means this. And I know that phrase means this. And it's all come together and it's so exciting and good. So they're reading it. They also are listening for, um, they're also looking at your body language. So if you are sitting sort of very tightly and all hunched up and you go, let's go, that may have a different response for them than if you're, you know, waving your arms and acting super excited. So for, for your scientist and um, for when people say, look, dog training is getting too sciencey. Um, dog trainers need to get back to the business of just training dogs, just being. What what do you say to that? Because I'm kind of the other way where I'm like, well, maybe I'm more in the middle, but but I, I love science. Science is a guide to me. Um, I, and I thank goodness for people like you that are doing the research that helps trainers like myself. Um, so I will definitely use science to help guide my hand. And I think it's extremely valuable, valuable but at the same time, um, there has to be that healthy mix of science and then just what we call dog training, which I also think is becoming too, too trainer, too training, 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 training. There's more more of a, an inf I would say more of, uh, what's the word? I'm trying to think of the word, more of an emphasis on teaching dogs cues and obedience and things like that. So we've, we've come away almost from just being with dogs. Do you as, a researcher, what kind of, um, how has it been for you to observe people and their dogs together and, and some trainers and their dogs together? So one of my favorite things that I've done is watch some of the breeders of the puppies that we included in our studies work with their older dogs and see how amazing you can be if you're a really good trainer, but you're still madly in love with your dog. Balancing those two things of knowing what the best method is, but also looking at your dog and going, well, maybe science says the best method for in general is this, but this can also work. And knowing which tool to use with which dog, whether that's a dog that really responds to praise or a dog that really responds to food and being aware of the individual differences and the fact that the science is always gonna say, look, in general, this is a good thing to try or to do, but you know your dog and you know what works and you know that like, I've met dogs that are genuinely not interested in food doesn't matter I can publish 15 papers saying well dogs really like food and it's super rewarding you'll still meet a couple that will take one look at your favorite bit of sausage your favorite bit of cheese and they'll just go oh I don't care I'm not going to work for that it's not going to work for me and one of the things that's really becoming more important in the science that I'm not sure that has really come over to people yet is how much individuality matters when you're working with these dogs and how really we can say we see these trends we see these things but in the end of the day a dog is an individual and you're going to get the best results by saying well yeah but I know my dog and I know that while the science says oh 15 minutes of training is great he's tired after five 
maybe he's tired after 10 and I'm going to stop there rather than pushing it to 15. The best trainers take all of that research and then they boil it down and they look at their dogs and they say, you know what, this thing works for you and that's great, but you know, maybe you're not that visually oriented and although the research says you're going to learn a visual cue faster, I know really you like listening to my voice. So although this research has said this, it's also said, but voice cues can be really good, maybe track like this. Um, I've been lucky that so far nobody's told me that the science is not helping them, but I have seen a few people who say, oh, but it's all just instinct. And I go, yes, and a lot of the time the science will confirm your instincts. We'll have train. I will bring people in for my studies and say, look, this is going to sound crazy. I'm going to test something that seems so obvious to you, but nobody's tested it yet. So let's find out if that so obvious thing is true. And sometimes your instincts will be right, and sometimes your instincts will be wrong. There was a really great paper on the guilty look that dogs give um, by Alexandra Horowitz. And I think all owners have seen this sooner or later. You think the dog's done something wrong and you turn and you frown at them and you do this. And the dog goes, oh, I'm sorry. And they frown their eyes and they give you the big sad eyes and they tilt their head. And you think, OK, he feels guilty. Turns out he doesn't feel guilty at all. He's just worried because you look angry. So they're doing submissive behaviors. And the science showed the owner thought it was guilt. But actually, it was just the dog saying, you're angry and I don't want you to be angry. I love you. I want you to be happy. Um, so in that case, we could say, OK, the science helped us be better owners by saying our instincts can be right, but they can also be wrong. And it also means that when we see that guilty look, maybe you want to be a little bit more loving towards your dog. And instead of being angry, say, hey, it's OK. I know you didn't mean to take that cookie or if you did mean to take it, that you regret you know, you know, now I'm not happy. You won't, maybe you'll do it again tomorrow, but that's my fault for leaving the cookies out. Um, so it's really about balancing the kind of hard facts of us saying, we know this can happen with how you then deal with your dog. And always remember that it's um, happy relationship with your dog means your dog being happy, not them necessarily being glued to your side and being worried every time you twitch. So, so that leads me on to the whole issue of compulsion training. Yeah. Traditional training where uh, equipment that is designed to intimidate or cause pain or discomfort is used and techniques are used to create a more dominant human being submissive dog relationship. What, what do you say as a scientist, as a scientist, what do you say to that? Right now, the science is on the Victoria Stilwell side of the argument in that right now, everything we're finding says that these negative punishments, these negative um, systems of working with the dog where you scare them, it doesn't just make a worse relationship because your dog is scared of you. It is less effective than training your dog with treats and praise. Like a happy dog is a dog that wants to work with you and a dog that isn't scared of you. Are these people that are saying, oh, but my dog does this. And you're like, well, have you tried doing something differently? Have you realized that some of this isn't going to be aggression? It's fear. You need to work out why they're afraid and make them not afraid. If they're afraid of you, then you're going to see behaviors you don't want. Um, unfortunately, this is partly the fault of scientists as well, because back in the 1940s, we, a study was published on how wolf packs work, which we now know is completely wrong. They're not dominance hierarchies with unrelated wolves coming together and fighting their way to the top. They're families. And a lot of the stuff we see in wolves is correcting behavior between mum correcting the kids. Um, but unfortunately, those ideas came through to the dog world that the way to work with dogs was to scare the hell out of them. And a scared dog was an obedient dog. 
Well, no, a scared dog is a dog that's quite prepared to bite you um, or to get away from you or to just have an absolutely miserable life. And who wants that for their pet? All the studies that have been coming out recently have very much been falling on if you use positive rewards, if you encourage the dog to be happy, if you use shaping rather than like pushing on the butt to get a sit, you pull a treat up in front of their head, they lift their head, their butt falls naturally. You get dogs that learn faster, they're happier, they're less aggressive, they're more social, and generally you have owners that have better relationships with their dogs because their dogs want to cuddle instead of being scared. You know, I started training dogs, gosh, 20 years ago now, and I've been working with dogs before that as well as a dog walker, but it's it's been an absolute, it's been a journey. It's been a journey to try and educate people, everybody out there, as well as evolve myself as a trainer to get to a place now where I think we are at a really good place, where it's a very exciting time to work with dogs in any kind of capacity um, because people like you are doing the research there to make it easier for people like me to work with clients. And so that's why we, I mean, I applaud everything that you're doing. I'm very excited for your new study on scent. And I'm also very excited for attendees to the conference to hear what you have to say because you've given us a few little nuggets of information, but I know that you've got a lot more and really, really fascinating stuff to impart. So um, thank you so much for joining me and I cannot wait to hear your presentation in a couple of weeks time. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. The more I do these podcasts and interview people that will be speaking at the conference, the more excited I'm getting about the conference. Again, it's May 9th and 10th. It, uh, if you want to find out more and you want to register, you go to positively.com slash DBC. Join us. It's going to be an incredible two days. If you can't be there for the whole time throughout the two days, it doesn't matter because if you register, all the presentations will be available to you for life. And um, I just, I'm so excited. You know, when the coronavirus hit, and it looked more and more likely that we were going to have to cancel the National Dog Behaviour Conference in the UK, where it takes place every year at this time. It was really sad because, not just because we had to cancel, but because um, we wouldn't be able to network. And it's a time when trainers come together and other animal care professionals and dog lovers come together and we network and we hang out and we just indulge in our passion for for two days of learning more and more about dogs. So then um, my husband suggested, well, let's just put it online. Let's make it the International Dog Behavior Conference. Let's put it online. So now we can add more speakers and it doesn't matter where in the world you are, you can you can tune in, you can you can listen. And so that's what we did. Same dates, May 9th and 10th. I really hope that you can join us there. Coronavirus, I know it's keeping us in our homes. Um, maybe by then more cities and states and countries will be opening up. But I think, you know, it's going to take a, a while for things get to get back to normal and maybe it'll never be normal like we knew it. Maybe it will be a new normal. But at least we have conferences like this. Thank goodness for Zoom that we can get together and we can still have that connection. And I think it's really important because for the amount of time that we're spending apart from each other, 
we must never be alone. So even though we are, we are apart, we must still stay connected. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hanging out with you guys then. So I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We will be having an, uh, another guest, another speaker that will be talking about some, uh, some great things that they're doing to make the world of dogs life or the world of dogs or your dog's life better. So thank you so much for joining me. Please take care. Loads of love to you all and I will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stillwell's Positively Podcast. For more information, visit Positively.com. Get connected on Facebook and YouTube as Victoria Stillwell or follow her on Twitter at Victoria S. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively. Positively.